If we heard about a woman like Marie Equa who came from a working class family and became a respected doctor, was an out lesbian who lived with her partner and adopted a child, and became a prominent political activist who gained both acclaim and notoriety, we'd probably still be impressed with her life story. After all, even with all the advancements in women's and gay rights, such a story is still of struggle. However, this particular biography didn't unfold in recent decades. The life story of Marie Equa started in the last decades of the 19th century and reached its conclusion the same year Queen Elizabeth II became Queen of England. Marie Equa was born in 1872 in the old whaling town of New Bedford, Massachusetts, one of 11 children born to a second-generation Irish immigrant mother and an Italian immigrant from Tuscany. Although her father found regular work as a stonemason, and Marie Equa had mostly good things to say about her childhood, the poverty of Marie's family would have a devastating effect on her prospects in life. Although she got good grades in high school and was praised by one of her teachers as an excellent scholar, although another teacher also said she was an exceptionally unruly, headstrong girl, she had no choice but to do what many other teenagers from working-class families had to do in the late 19th century U.S., drop out of high school and get a factory job. For a working-class girl in a town like New Bedford, that meant finding grueling, low-paying work in the textile mills. Marie Equa's life may have gotten stuck there if not for the intervention of Bessie Holcomb. The daughter of a middle-class family, Bessie met Marie Equa in high school, and went on to become a student at Wellesley College. However, she kept in touch with Marie and went above and beyond the call of friendship by petitioning to get Marie a scholarship to enter a private school, the Northfield Seminary for Young Ladies, which is today the Northfield Mount Hermon School. Suddenly, in the application she put together for Marie, she downplayed Marie's Italian-Irish background and insisted that she had, quote, strong Protestant tendencies. However, the scholarship was only for one year, and it was not renewed, leaving Marie a young woman without any prospects yet again. However, Bessie once more showed the way forward. Bessie had dropped out of Wellesley her junior year and moved to Oregon, where even a single woman could claim a plot of land under the Homestead Act. In fact, by the end of the 19th century, 12 to 15 percent of all homesteaders in Oregon were women. In 1892, Marie managed to get together the money to follow Bessie to the Dolls in northern Oregon, where they lived together on a small homestead and Bessie worked as a teacher. It was at the Dolls where Marie had her first bout of righteous and public political anger. A certain minister, the Reverend O.D. Taylor, was one of the town's most influential residents, but he was also notorious for cheating new homesteaders, and Bessie and Marie were among his victims. One afternoon in the town square, Marie attacked Odie Taylor with a rawhide whip, demanding the money she and Bessie were owed. Local newspapers actually all but praised Marie for taking the con artist minister to task, and a judge even dismissed the charges. Despite becoming something of a local hero, in 1897 Marie and Bessie moved to San Francisco, then one of the fastest-growing cities in the United States. While Bessie became a stenographer, Marie took a job as a cashier that she used to fund her most ambitious step by far, 
entering med school. Even a high school dropout like Marie could enter medical school, as long as she passed an entrance exam. However, times were changing, and in about 10 years, one would be required to have not only a high school degree, but a college degree to enter medical school. It had been about half a century since Elizabeth Blackwell became the first woman in the United States to even be allowed a medical degree, but it was still a brave decision to become a female medical student. Some professional doctors still believed that women's brains were biologically inferior to men's, and harassment from male students and even faculty was common. But with her usual tolerance for haters, Equa did get in trouble for slapping a male student who called her a fool. Marie started her education at the affiliated colleges, which later became the University of California, San Francisco, and the University of California Medical Department. In 1901, Bessie moved out and got married to a man, although it should be noted that she and Marie remained close friends. Still, the same year, Marie moved to Portland and transferred to Williamette University. There, she finally finished her medical degree in 1903, although a faculty member did try to stop her commencement, claiming that her personality made her unfit to be a doctor. After moving back to San Francisco in a brief stint running a practice in rural eastern Oregon, Marie Equa finally settled for good in Portland, where she set up a successful practice that had a wide clientele, but became particularly popular for charging low fees, or even no fees at all, to poor patients. While she also became a local celebrity for providing an expert witness testimony in a grand jury investigation of the murder of a local socialite, and for becoming part of the volunteer medical mission to San Francisco after the devastating earthquake and fire of 1906, her reputation became a bit shakier when she struck up with a new love interest, Harriet Speckert, a beer and real estate heiress. When Harriet's aunt queried Harriet about the nature of her relationship with Marie, she simply replied, Yes, I am very happy single, especially now that I have Dr. Equa. I need no more. She loves me the same as I love her. Whatever goodwill Marie Equa had cultivated, she lost much of it when the city newspapers started reporting on Marie and Harriet's relationship. Interviews with Harriet's mother and brother were full of insinuations that Marie was basically a gold digger. Even then, though, accusations of homosexuality were only implied and not actually made. One particularly scandalous article claimed that when Harriet's brother refused to give his sister a bunch of letters written by Equa, Marie stormed over to his apartment, threatened his life, and grabbed him by the throat, forcing him to flee down the fire escape. Marie denied the accusations, saying instead that the family had threatened her. Marie went so far as arranging a police review of her correspondence to support her contention that, quote, we are just friends, bosom companions. However, Marie and Harriet started living together by 1907. In 1915, Marie even legally adopted a child, Mary, who would be called Mary Jr., and would take the last name Equa. Harriet and Marie would raise the child together openly. In the meantime, Marie became more interested in not just the medical plights of her patients, but also their economic ones. 
On February 15, 1913, after years of supporting the push for women's right to vote, Equa became one of the first women in Oregon registered to vote in state elections and officially joined the Progressive Party, which at the time advocated for a minimum wage, the outlawing of child labor, and health care for children and the elderly provided by the government. Not satisfied with just the ballot box, and no doubt inspired by her own miserable experience with the textile mills, she joined in strikes by female workers. Eventually, she was even named an honorary member of the International Workers of the World. She was especially notorious for her unladylike behavior, with newspaper articles claiming she slugged a couple of cops and stabbed one with a hat pin. However, there is more proof of Marie herself being physically and verbally abused by the police. At one point, she was even nearly put in an insane asylum by court order. In an interview, she said about the incident, quote, It was beyond the imagination of these people who repeatedly attacked me that a professional woman of established practice and reputation of some money and high standing in the community could put these aside and get out and work for her unfortunate sisters and brothers. Therefore, I must be insane. Nor was Marie's career as a doctor unaffected by her politics. She befriended Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, when they were both in prison. They had been arrested for distributing copies of Margaret's pamphlet, Family Limitation, and charged with obscenity. Also, Marie provided illegal abortions to her patients. One nurse who worked for Marie recalled leaving the office with some friends to go out on the town, and Marie simply walking up to them and saying that if they were ever in trouble, to come see her. Her political activities finally escalated when the United States entered the First World War. Among other high-profile protests, once she climbed the downtown telephone pole out of the reach of cops and enraged bystanders. From there, she put down a banner, down with the imperialist war, and addressed the crowd. The police asked the local fire department to get her down, but they all refused since many of them had been helped by her as a doctor. So she only got down once she was good and ready. As World War I wound down, the federal government escalated its persecution of anti-war advocates and so-called radicals. One of hundreds of people caught up in the sweep was Marie Equa herself. She was arrested on June 30, 1918, accused of vowing allegiance to the socialist red banner used in worker strikes and maligning the character of U.S. soldiers. Marie got out on bail and fought her conviction, going so far as writing a four-page plea for clemency that was sent to President Woodrow Wilson, in which she made the bold argument that she had been unfairly targeted because of her homosexuality, an almost unheard-of protest in 1918. Nor was her petition ignored. Thomas Ryan, a former deputy district attorney in the Portland area, said that even though he was opposed to everything the industrial workers of the world and similar organizations stood for, quote, it would be a crime and an outrage to send Dr. Equa to jail, even for a day. The petition came close to receiving the president's signature, but it was shot down almost at the last minute by Attorney General A. Mitchell Palmer, who feared that a presidential pardon would undermine the legal basis for other arrests of dissidents. 
Instead, Palmer convinced Wilson to commute her sentence to one year and a day. Marie would spend that year in the infamous federal prison of San Quentin. As soon as Marie got out, she pushed her personal experience of the conditions at San Quentin to argue for prison reform. But this would mark the end of her career of political activism. Instead, Marie was splitting her time between taking care of Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, a friend of hers and an activist who gained national notoriety by defending Italian-American anarchist Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti in court, and Harriet Speckert, who was struck down by a brain hemorrhage. Despite Marie's best efforts, Harriet never recovered and would die at the age of 44. Harriet's obituary in a local newspaper didn't acknowledge either Marie Equa or Mary Jr. as among her survivors. After Harriet's death, Elizabeth would move in with Marie. Unfortunately, Marie never got as close to Elizabeth as she did to Harriet. No small part of the reason why seems to have been political differences. Elizabeth would join the Communist Party, and while Marie was certainly a leftist by the standards of her day, she strongly rejected communism. In 1936, Elizabeth left Marie to travel the American West before returning to her former home of New York City for good. After Mary Jr. graduated from Reed College, she and her husband, Tony Lukes, moved near Marie Equa's home, and they started having grandchildren. Perhaps surprising even herself, Marie actually seems to have been content with the role of doting grandmother. But then, in September 1950, Marie broke her hip. Longshoremen, remembering her support for them during a 1934 strike, sent her 13 red roses after hearing that she considered 13 to be her lucky number. Despite their thoughtful efforts, Marie Equa never recovered. Instead, she was moved to a nursing home where she died of renal disease on July 13, 1952, at the age of 80. Her daughter made sure that she was buried alongside the closest person to a spouse she ever had, Harriet Speckard. <laughs>